0: Well, I often make mistakes. I'm going to tell you about one of those times where I made a mistake. It was at my, I think it was the second funeral that I officiated at, and the family wanted me and the senior pastor to be part of the funeral. And so we did the service together at the church, and then we went to the graveside service, and I did the, the graveside service. Now, the United Methodist graveside or committal service is a beautiful service it's it's a short service but there is this really powerful liturgy in the service and it's important that service is an important service to the family as it's the final words that said before the body of their loved one is put in the final resting place Now, part of the service is taken from 1 Corinthians, and it goes like this. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the saying that is written will be fulfilled." death has been swallowed up in victory where oh death is your victory where oh death is your sting but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ now here's what happened i said those words and all the other words that are part of the the service we finished up the pastor and i we said our final condolences to the family and we made our way to the car so we get into the car, and a senior pastor, he turns to me, and he says, Mandy, you have such a good presence about you. He said, you did a very nice job. So in my head, I was like, okay, yes. Like, you know, as pastors, like, we have this calling from God, and then we question our calling, like, am I really supposed to be a pastor or not? And, and in that moment, I was like, all right, I did this, and this is, this, is, this is right. And then the pastor says, except, and I was like, oh no, okay, here it comes. He said, "Accepts." he said, except it's immortality, not immorally. So instead of telling the family that their loved one had the ability to live forever and have eternal life, I told them that their loved one was in the state or quality of being immoral or wicked. Words matter. Makes a difference. Now, it was not the last time that I've mixed up words. I, have, I speak in front of people, and I have trouble with words. I mix up letters. I mix up words. I mix up numbers. And so I'm very intentional about my speaking, but I know that it happens. I know that I make mistakes. But that's just it. They are mistakes. It's not like I was trying to be hurtful to the family or being immoral myself. Now, I grew up learning that I was to love others, and the standard of Christian living I was taught was being nice, right, loving one another, and for a long time, I thought that's all that I needed to do until I grew in my faith, and I realized that that's not quite enough, Uh, This last Wednesday, I I helped with our confirmation class, uh, our eighth graders who are learning about their own faith. And they had some time on Wednesday to write their faith stories. And one of the prompts to help get them started was, what was one of your experiences growing up that really impacted your faith? So I thought about that for myself. I had a lot of experiences growing up, but one time stood out to me. One moment was really formative to my faith. And it was the first time that I heard the story of King Solomon and the two mothers. So the story goes that God told young Solomon in a dream. He said, Solomon, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Kind of like a genie. Like We've, we've all thought of this, right? It's a genie gives three wishes, like ask for anything you want and it will be giving, given to you. It's kind of like that, except this was God and it was only one wish. So Solomon, Solomon thought and he asked God for a discerning heart to help govern the people to discern right from wrong now God was pretty pleased with his response he he didn't Solomon didn't ask to live a long time or to have great wealth he asked for wisdom and so God gave him wisdom and health and wealth so Solomon's first act of using this great wisdom happened when two young women approached him Now, they both had given birth, and they both had these babies, and unfortunately, one of the babies died. And the two mothers claimed that the living baby was their own. So this is how it goes. The king said, Solomon said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. And the other one said, the other mother said, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. So Solomon said get me a sword they brought a sword to the king and the king said cut the living child in two give half to one woman and half to the other. Now, if I was the mother of the living child, I probably, I would have, I would have done, I would have fought for my child, uh, probably not really realizing that there was another way. I would have stood in front of the sword. I would have begged the king to trust me that I was the baby's mother. I wouldn't I would do anything to not be separated from my child. But there was another way. So the scripture continues on. It says, then the woman whose son was still alive said to the king, please, your majesty, give her the living child. Please don't kill him. For she had great love for her son. But the other woman said, well, if I can't have him, neither will you cut the child in half. So the king answered, give the first woman the living newborn. Don't kill him. She is his mother. So hearing this as, I can't remember if I was maybe a a, a late elementary school age kid probably, I realized that there was a different kind of love. And it was not a love that was uh, to make me feel good kind of love. It was not a uh, I'm morally doing the right thing but rather a sacrifice like i'm a good person so i love and that means sometimes giving up something that i want for the sake of another and this mom the mom of the living child she sacrificed her own happiness to save someone else now most of the time we are like the other woman we are we resent it when someone gets something that we don't. We're, re, we, we're resentful. If, if I can't have it, then you can't either. Now, long before Jesus came, philosophers have been studying morals right from wrong. Theologians try to understand morals through a relationship to our view to God. Now, if there is anything essential... To our faith as followers of christ more than love i don't know what it is but philosophers other religions say that we should love they say that we should be kind to one another that is not unique to christianity so here's what we can agree on that we should love God, uh, we should love God, we should love our neighbor as ourself. Those words are found in the Old Testament. Those words are found in the New Testament. Jesus says that those are the greatest commandments. And we also read in scripture that God is the very definition of love. So this is found in First John. It says, Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God the person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love this is how the love of God is revealed to us God sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him this is love it is not that we loved God but rather God that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. If we know If we love, we know God. If we believe in God, we will love God and we will love our neighbors. So isn't that enough? Sometimes we we say, like, well, if everybody would just love one another more, the whole world would be better, right? Everything would be right. Can it be that simple, And the answer, of course, is no, because we are complicated humans with our own minds and with our own experiences and our own interpretations. The problem is, is that we don't all agree on of what constitutes love. This is where our morals come in. Morals are what we think is right and wrong, and that's how we judge love. That's how we decide if if I am being the loving one and the other side is not. So, let's use a controversial topic to have this as an example. Now, there are a lot of controversial topics that we could choose from, but I've picked abortion. Now, note, a couple notes. First of all, if you have ever experienced an abortion or you are faced with that decision and you need a non-judgmental, loving place to come for spiritual care, I am available. That is something that I am, please come talk to me. I am, I am saying that. Now, I want to use this as an example because I want to see if we can try to understand where each side is coming from. Now, here's where the second note comes from. This is not a black and white issue. There is so much room in the middle. But we know that there are some who are firmly on one of the two sides. So for the sake of this example, we will say that there are two sides to this. Now, both sides, both sides in the name of loving God and their neighbor, feel like they are loving and following what God desires. So the pro-life, those who are pro-life, they are, are fighting for, for a life of a, of a living fetus, and they think that it's morally wrong to harm a life that has no voice. To, to those who are on this side, fighting is in this way is showing love. That is what they are doing, showing love by fighting in this way. Now, for someone who is pro-choice, now note pro-choice does not mean pro-abortion, it means the right for a woman to decide. Now, the people who are on this side find it morally wrong to force someone to do something to their body that may cause them to be harmed in some way. So, for the people who are on this side, standing up for women's rights is love. Now, is either side wrong for loving the way that they do? Not really. I mean, they are both showing compassion and love in a way that they feel is morally right. Both sides have valid points. Both sides can back up their arguments with Scripture passages and Scripture references. Both think that they are loving God and their neighbor, but it's based on their morals what they believe is right and wrong from their own experiences. Now, I will say on my own faith journey, I have come to understand the other side by listening and learning and showing grace for situations that I have not personally experienced. Now, if you're curious about what the United Methodist Church says about abortion, uh, let me know and I will happily share um, the United Methodist stance on this. Uh, There's kind of a current stance and a newly revised stance, and I will be happy to share that with you. So we use this controversial topic as an example, because there are loving and compassionate people on both sides. Now, we also recognize that there are people on both sides that are doing extreme harm with their words and actions by attacking the other side. So when we have this kind of dilemma, when we are trying to decide who is right and who is wrong, we can turn to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you the right way to think about this topic, but rather offer you a way to see it from a new perspective. Now, Jesus came, and he talked about love like no one else. There were people talking about loving your neighbor and being kind to one another over and over again but Jesus came and he talked about love like no one else first of all he he said instead of an eye for an eye he said if somebody slaps you on the the right cheek give them your left cheek if somebody takes your shirt go ahead and just give them your coat too then he said that we are to love our enemies. Now, that's a big difference from being kind to one another or loving our neighbors, loving God, being, but, but loving our enemies. So how can we best show a love like this? I think there's three things that we can do. First of all, we can assume positive intent. Proverbs 19.11 says insightful people restrain their anger. Their glory is to ignore an offense. Now, we have interactions all the time in person, in social media, and there are a lot of chances for us to assume positive intent because a lot of times we assume otherwise. Otherwise, But if we start with all of our interactions by assuming a person has positive intent, that is a really powerful thing. And even if we know that people do not have a positive intent, it's probably about a 99% of the situation where we can ignore the offense, as it says in Proverbs. Now, there are times where we, we shouldn't ignore an offense. We should stand up for whatever. But most of our interactions, we can do as the proverb says and ignore the offense. So second thing that we can do to show love to our enemies is don't only have drama allies. Now here's what a drama ally is. I had a drama ally at a job that I had once for a long time. I I was a drama ally for, for many, many years. Now, drama allies are the person, maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe a life group, maybe your spouse, maybe a neighbor. It's that person that you go to after a meeting, or after you talk to an annoying coworker, or after your spouse says something really dumb. And you go to that person and you tell them what's happening and they respond to you with something like, girl, I can't believe they did that. And they sit with you and they talk about the situation and they make you feel better for being annoyed or angry or upset. They feed your drama. That's what a drama ally is. And we will... We will. All we need is love, right? We can say all we need is love, yes, but we will never grow in our love for our enemies if we surround ourselves with drama allies. Now here's a scripture passage that I think can help us think about uh, drama allies and some questions. So this is, these are Jesus' words found in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit and he trims any branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already trimmed because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things so that you... That, so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So here are the questions that we can ask if we are drama allies or if we have drama allies in our life. First of all, um, are are, are people helping you produce fruit? Are Are people around you helping you grow? Are you surrounded by people in your life that will tell you not just what you want to hear but tell you something to help you grow in your faith in Jesus, remembering the commandments that Jesus taught us to love our enemy. And the number two question, are you producing fruit by helping others grow? Are you a drama ally for someone? Do you need to take a step back from that situation and help somebody else see another perspective. Now, if we want to be better at loving, really loving others, first, we should assume positive intent. Second, we should watch out for drama allies. And the most important thing we can do to truly love our enemies is move toward people not away from people who have different views than we do. Of course, if it's emotionally and physically safe. We can agree to disagree on a lot of things, but if we never hear the other side of things that we disagree with, we will never grow. We will never produce the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. Now, you may be asking, where in the world can I go to have that kind of conversation? Because we know it's hard, right? Those are the topics that we avoid at all cost because we know that it can be really hard and painful. Well, here's an opportunity for you. Now, uh, in my very first introduction to Horizons, so back in March, so about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, um, you know, I didn't start until July last year, but, but in March, I was able to come here and meet with some of the leadership here. And the leadership that I met with, they told me that Horizons had never had any hard conversations around the inclusion of the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community. I also heard that our kids are talking about it, our youth care about it, that they are passionate about understanding this um, in our community. So beginning in late January this year, the, the leadership teams here at Horizons, the staff and also our elected lay leaders, about 35 of us, met for five weeks to discuss how we can be both faithful to Scripture, because that's important, and also inclusive. Now, the future of the church is dependent on these conversations. Now, we met, and we did not all agree with one another. We didn't. But it was beautiful, and it was respectful. We came into that place loving one another, we heard other people's perspectives, and we walked out of that room loving one another. Now here's a video from Brittany. Brittany is part of our leadership and she'll talk a little bit about her experience.
1: Hi, my name is Brittany Blosser, and I am a member of the leadership team. And I've been a member here at Horizons for about five years. I did the study with other leaders and we had an opportunity to have a lot of great conversations surrounding topics that tend to be a little more controversial and we had people of all different walks of life and different viewpoints and opinions and we were able to have constructive conversations that were based off of scripture and it was very educational and eye-opening for all of us. And I feel like that's important as a congregation to have that for our members and to provide a safe place for them to be able to come and ask questions and um, talk about some of these difficult topics and not feel judged and to be met with respect and love.
0: So our steering team met um, afterwards to talk about kind of what the next steps might look like and The next steps that they they want to do is they want to offer the same opportunity for for you. And so in June and September of this year, we are going to invite you to be a part of these conversations as well. Somebody on our steering team said when we were talking about this, like, wouldn't it be cool if we were the church where every year we'd have a different controversial topic and we could come together and respectfully uh, have these conversations? And it's, it's kinda true, right? We don't get this kind of opportunity in other places, in other spaces of our life. So there, there's an opportunity for you to sign up for, for this particular study in June and, and September. It is on uh, the Church Center app if you're interested in signing up now and you're gonna be hearing more from that later john wesley the founder of the methodist movement said there are many doctrines of a less essential nature in these we may think and let think we may agree to disagree but meantime let us hold fast the essentials jesus taught us that love is washing someone's feet even though you know they are about to betray you. That's what Jesus did when he washed Judas' feet. Jesus taught us that love is doing no harm. Jesus taught us that love is letting go of opinions and holding on to the essentials to produce fu- fruit for the future of the church. Jesus taught us that, that, that sometimes we, we step aside and let the, the youth, the young people, the future, to love like Jesus loved. That's an essential thing. God is love and God shows us love. John 3.16, this is one you know, but this is the message translation. It says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. So the question is, is love all that we need? And the answer is no. Nope. We also need a space to practice joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control with others with different perspectives. How will you love your enemy. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, you have given us and showed us a love like, like no other, a love that we can't sometimes even imagine trying to reproduce in our own life. You've been patient with us. You've been kind to us. You've been giving to us You've been forgiving of things that that we have done in our life that may seem unforgivable. And you tell us to go and do the same thing to others. God, this is hard for us to do. This is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. God, we do know that the world does need more love but you're telling us that, that there are, there are, there's a love like we can't even imagine. So help us to open our eyes to this kind of love, a kind of love that has love for our enemies. God, we say all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.